0: Welcome to the Modern Intimacy Podcast, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, education, how-tos, and those private things we need to talk about more publicly with no restrictions. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. As a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, and certified sex addiction therapist, I know that mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex lives. I am passionate in my desire to smash stigmas about both, and shine a light on relationship and societal issues that may be negatively affecting us. During this podcast, I will also give you practical answers and insights to questions you're asking about or have been hoping to solve. We should all have fulfilled happy lives, erasing shame and stigmas and building healthy connections. Let's do that by getting curious together. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Modern Intimacy podcast. So this month, we're taking a shift away from last month's topic of misogyny and sexism. And we're talking about something a little bit more fun. Well, hopefully a lot more fun. Pleasure. And in time to start that conversation is a question from a listener whose name is Barb. And Barb says, I am so exhausted and I feel like I don't have anything fun or pleasurable in my day-to-day life, but I don't know where to get started. And I feel like I don't even know what pleasure is anymore. Everything's changed from the pandemic. What should I do? And I really appreciate this question so much because I think it speaks to where a lot of folks are in life right now, kind of numb, kind of recalibrating, kind of in a loss for what feels like a new normal. So I invited onto the podcast today a person named Euphemia Russell, and Euphemia wrote an incredible book called Slow Pleasure. So I've invited them here to talk today. And Euphemia, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to explore. Yeah. When you hear the question that was posed by our listener, I'm so curious about what you noticed coming up for you
1: yeah the as you said that it's a shared experience by many people and that pleasure is often not spoken about and yet we're all fumbling our way back to pleasure i see pleasure as a practice of remembering rather than learning mm-hmm. and there are so many barriers and so many dampness to remembering that pleasure particularly after a pandemic and lockdowns and being in the motions of everyday life um so I suppose first I felt empathy um and resonated with it. And that's why I've built so many of my offerings and products around beginning in the small moments. Like one of my offerings is microdosing pleasure, one of them is slow pleasure mm-hmm. book. Um, unfurling, all of them are around how to start small, how to it to be like sip by sip of pleasure rather than feeling as so though it has to be extravagant or outlandish, um, and out of reach as well.
0: I really appreciate that approach. and, And I want to dive into that a little bit more because your book has so many rich ideas and ways to conceptualize pleasure, and then also ways to begin that pleasure practice. But I wonder if we can take a departure here for a second and talk a little bit about your background, because you have a background in somatic coaching, Sex education. And um, what I understand is that your goal is really to help clients create space to pause, listen, and as you said, remember their full spectrum of pleasure, which I think is such an incredibly fascinating point of reflection, as if we all have the capacity for pleasure all the time and we've somehow forgotten it. So I wonder if you can speak a little bit more to that philosophy and what was the inspiration behind your book, Slow Pleasure?
1: Mm, There's a lot of good questions in that. I, um, I started as a sex educator and I realized that it was a doorway into a full spectrum and constellation of pleasure choices and possibilities. And over time, just naturally, and then working with clients, realizing that pleasure was about cultivating a relationship with yourself, with your body, with the world around you. And that I noticed again and again and again, that it was actually less about learning the top three tips or, you know, the idea of mastering this or fixing this, that it's not necessarily about problems. And maybe they're the things that bring attention to, oh, this is something I want to cultivate or tend to. And it's like finding the small ways to begin But actually, as you said, I have come to see and witness and feel for myself that it is a coming back to. It's a pausing and building those pauses into life to actually listen to our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations, and to be able to know our choices for pleasure and then invite more pleasure and savor it. And that's really where I brought the blending of uh, sex education that turned into pleasure in general with somatic coaching and being able to explore embodiment and seeing ourselves as a whole through a somatic approach of thoughts, feelings, sensations. And it really birthed the whole new way of being for me and my work and my life and myself. And I think that Slow Pleasure was born out of that, which was saying, hey, yes, sexual pleasure is something that we default to when we talk about pleasure of thinking it's like orgasms, genitals, and with someone else or other people. But actually, pleasure can be in this small everyday moments. And so this book is about taking you through building that pleasure practice and that relationship with yourself again, after having been socialized, out of it by society and collective guilt and shame that we've inherited um, and all the challenges and barriers to feeling that pleasure and celebrating it and in an unashamed way. So it feels really, it feels very significant to be able to share this book with so many people and for it to be such an accessible Um, information and practices to so many people now because I think that we have been very distant from it collectively.
0: We really have. Um, I was even reading this article the other day that talked about how we have kind of uh, erased the experience of pleasure in our home aesthetics over the past several years by going toward these beige and monotone um, aesthetics. And while I personally find that to be really beautiful, I completely understand what the author was saying about how the the movement away from bright colors and from uh, diversity and what we see around us is a sort of stripping away of pleasure visually from our day-to-day life. And it can, for some people, create this experience of expected monotony. And mm. I think about that often, actually, when I look at your book, because your book itself is, a, is an act of pleasure. Everything from its tactile experience to, the way that the colors blend together and the way you blend in these beautiful photos and artwork throughout, even in how you place the text throughout the book, there's a curiosity that gets evoked in reading it because every page is a different layout and sensation and experience. So I just want to highlight that for the readers listening, that even the construction of your book is is uh, a preach of your practice.
1: Hmm. I love that you received it as intended and that it, it makes you feel that way. It's like a full pleasurable experience. It does. There's lots of dopamine when I
0: read your book. <laughs> yeah.
1: So oh, I love what you said about aesthetic. Cause I think about that a lot too, obviously being colorful. That's something I've come to come back to and reclaimed and being like, Oh, the ways I've been also socialized to be smaller or
0: um, more palatable, even to myself. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's such an insidious um, conditioning that I think we get experienced to when we look at the world and how it's constructed around us. Um, so let's talk a little bit about slow pleasure. And I know you started to describe slow pleasure in the day to day activities, but I wonder how you differentiate that from fast pleasure or quick pleasure. What would you see as the other end of that spectrum? <laughs>
1: I think that there's, um, the reason that I focus on slow pleasure is because I believe collectively we default to fast and that giving more attention to slow is not saying that it's better. Um, or that it's just one or the other, it's just saying, Hey, we default to this, but what about if we put more attention and more care on the slow, which is something that's harder to cultivate and harder to do because it's not celebrated or it's not supported in our day-to-day life and work. And so it's, it's tending to it more. And so actually in the end, when you tend to slowness, you have more choices for speed or pace or types of pleasure, because you expand that pleasure spectrum. And so it's much less about slow being better. But it's also that when the slower that we are, the easier it is to listen. So it takes practice to do fast pleasure, or things fast and to still be embodied to still be aware of what is happening in real time in my sensations, my desires, my needs, my longings, my fantasies, my feelings, my thoughts. All of those things need a little bit more time, even if it's just an elongated pause, like a long breath or a moment of silence or a minute of movement. But slow allows more choices and slow allows more space to listen.
0: So what I hear you saying there is that slow pleasure is about being able to cultivate a sense of presence so that you can develop more information and and information, I mean, you can pick up more on what is your sensory experience or even your cognitive experience in the moment, and that allows you to consciously make more decisions about what is enjoyable or not, thus defining your pleasure. Would that be a fair mm-hmm. way to describe slow pleasure?
1: As yeah. A- I mean, the, the, you mentioned the practice before of the pausing, mm-hmm. the listening, the building, the self-trust and the inviting in, that is what I see as the practice of of slow pleasure and doing that in 10 seconds, as much as we remember, as well as like long minutes worth of, Oh, how am I feeling right now? What are my options? What are my choices? And that is the practice of slow pleasure as I, as I see it.
0: And, and you're saying that we need to be able to have that practice well established to be able to consume information, sensory information in a faster way and be able to also appreciate it and appreciate its pleasure with the same level of, um, consciousness. Yeah.
1: As I speak about in the book. Um, I talk about how I believe we live in a collective crisis of pace and disconnection. And so I see offering the practice of slow pleasure as a way to reconnect to ourselves, reconnect to our pleasure, um, and to slow down and savor more, to be able to savor the pleasure or savor the life that is here right now and not being in that, um, Like hedonic adaptation or like hedonic treadmill of like what's more, what's next, what's the next thing? Okay, I've done, 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 done. done, Go, 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 go. go, Quick, 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 quick. quick, Which is what we have been encouraged and rewarded to do, and can sometimes be at the hmm, at the expense of pleasure and embodiment. So yeah, I think your interpretation of slow pleasure is. The same in different words. And it's really interesting hearing you explain it. And I'm like, Yeah, same, same, but different words.
0: Yeah, yeah. just it, it, like, for me, what stood out so much as I was reading through your book is the idea of consciousness, right? And it's difficult to be conscious to our own experience when we are doing something really quickly, or when we are consuming something really quickly, or in a medium that delivers information really fast. Because to your point, we are really um, encouraged to be fast in our production and our consumption and our experience. And there are really um, positive aspects of that at times. But when it comes to discerning pleasure, it can make it really difficult to be even aware of what feels good or what feels bad if we can't pause to consider how we're even experiencing things around us.
1: Totally. And we're so fluid that it can change over time and be like, Oh shit. I didn't realize that what I once loved, I no longer or vice versa. Right.
0: Right. Well, this might sound like a weird question, but how do you even define pleasure?
1: The way that I define it is it's a state of enjoyment or a feeling of enjoyment and Um, I don't see it necessarily as an action of, of enjoyment. Like say, for example, you can go through the motions of doing a pleasurable thing, but you might not actually even allow it to soak in that you're feeling pleasure. And so I think that that's where savoring comes in is feeling pleasure from the pleasure and allowing it to really sink in. Um, so yeah, I, I focus
0: more on a state or a feeling rather than an action. I really appreciate you breaking it down that way. Because I, I think so many people will engage in activities that they think should be pleasurable. And they they don't experience the kind of joy or, or what they might Um, identify as pleasure. They don't feel it in their bodies. And sometimes they don't feel it emotionally either. And that can feel really incongruent. Um, So it is a feeling state of enjoying something. And that creates a lot of opportunities for diversity in what people feel pleasure around and even in different mood states, having access to different things that are enjoyable or pleasurable that maybe you don't care for when you're in a different mood state. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, how much pleasure do you think people need to have in order to feel sated? I don't even like <laughs> shoulds, but what what's the the goal in your mind of how much pleasure to savor and be aware of?
1: <laughs> I I don't think that that is measurable, and I think often we associate pleasure with hedonism or indulgence or frivolous, and that the way that I see pleasure is that it's a direct path to feeling more alive. And so I suppose the only measure that I would ever give pleasure is how much more alive do you feel when you experience pleasure? How much closer does pleasure bring you to feeling the most alive that you could in this moment. And as I said, there's the microdosing pleasure offering that I um, created because it's like, how can you bring 10% more pleasure into this moment, even if it's an everyday action or process, and that that can make a world of difference, even just 10% for 10 seconds can bring so much quality of life and aliveness to an everyday action like brushing your teeth or walking along the street or driving in the car, whatever it may be. So I think it it's boils down to quality of life, but more than that, I think it's aliveness. And so pleasure is the most direct path to aliveness. And I see embodiment as the most direct path to connection. And that's actually the things that I really care about is feeling alive and feeling connected to yourself, to others, to the land, to the world around you. That's what feels really nourishing and why, why, why we're bothering. So
0: I suppose that's the only measure I would give pleasure. So what I'm hearing is that there's this balance of, um, enjoyment and then also connectedness, right? And and vitality and connectedness, which are some mm. of the things that we aim to seek during sex, but also what we really aim to seek during life and non-sexual experiences as well, because that connection to our vitality is so key in our survival and important in the way that we learn. It's important in the way that we grow and experience so much of the world. Um, and I might, I might offer that if the vitality is really high, but there's no connection to self or others, it might be an opportunity to look at, is there a destruction in this vitality or in the pleasure or the enjoyment? And perhaps that's where it might venture into a hedonistic place or a place where you might want to recalibrate. Would that be a fair thing to Mm.
1: say? That's a beautiful way to tie them together. I love that. Because a a lot of people ask me, like, why pleasure? You know, if I'm just doing pleasure now, like, what's the point? And I say to them, well, there's fleeting pleasure. There's, like, instant pleasure. But there's an investment in building your capacity to feel more alive, to feel more pleasure over time. That are you feeling, feeling that wellspring? of pleasure. So I love the way that you bring pleasure and connection together. Um, I feel like we're good mirrors to each other, where we speak in different ways, but about the same thing. So it's really nice to hear your
0: wording and perspective on that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, And agree. I think there's there's so much synergy in the way that you discuss and educate folks about pleasure. And sort of how we think in the mental health field as a whole, right about staying connected and embodied. And it's an important place to be intentional and to develop a practice. And I wonder how would you differentiate a pleasure practice from a gratitude practice? Were are they similar and different?
1: The way that I see gratitude is it's a savoring practice. It's savoring what already is. And so it's allowing appreciation or your appreciation for life to sink in. Whereas savoring is allowing the pleasure of life to sink in. So I think that they are related in terms of the depth or the presence that is required to feel gratitude or to savor pleasure. And yet I think they feed into each other that if we don't have gratitude our appreciation for what is, then it can be hard to feel more and feel fulfilled rather than scrambling and reaching and grabbing for more, 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 more. So I think they're different, but I like thinking about the way that they interplay and feed into each other and allow more possibilities for both. And as I was saying before about like the hedonic adaption of the kind of go, 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 go. What's the next thing? Don't even reflect, don't even digest, don't even stop and allow something to sink in or wash over us or integrate. That the more that we stop and we are grateful and we reflect on what has happened and what is, it allows us to have more depth and to build that capacity to be with more pleasure, more aliveness, more connection and more possibilities in the future. And I think that's also part of slow pleasure is the part of that pausing is the sinking in the metabolizing of what is. So gratitude is a beautiful practice for that.
0: Wonderful. What, what are your thoughts and recommendations for people who want to start a pleasure practice, a daily pleasure practice, but don't really know what that means or don't really know how to begin.
1: I have a whole section in the book about this because I think that a lot of people can have a, a relationship with the idea of practice as being discipline, or being really structured or being very stern and serious. And that the simplest one liner that I could give is how can you make it fun microdosed and imperfect. So 10 seconds of intuitive movement and remembering you have a body, remembering you live in your body, remembering that there's choices for pleasure in that moment of however you want to move. That practice, that imperfect microdosed fun practice is so much more powerful than putting off the, oh, what if what if I was to experience more pleasure? Oh, I'll wait till sex to experience my pleasure, or I'll wait till this is done or until the conditions are perfect. And that I talk about the idea of resourcing ourselves with pleasure rather than rewarding ourselves with pleasure. And that that can be the practice is not delaying our pleasure or a sense of like gratification. It's how can you bring even 10% pleasure into this moment imperfectly microdosed in a fun way? That is the practice. The practice is to just keep coming back and remembering, oh, pause. What are my options? What are my choices for feeling good right now? And so... There's a lot more in the book around that section of building a pleasure practice, but as I I forget their name, the person who asked the question at the start, was it Barb? Mm -hmm. I think that would be the answer for Barb is coming back to that relationship with pleasure in an imperfect,
0: fun, microdosed way. I so appreciate that. And and especially appreciate the emphasis on the imperfect part, because I think until we can give ourselves permission to be silly and to be messy and to be imperfect, it's really hard to appreciate and savor all of the joys that exist, right? If we're so worried about creating an impression or creating just the right experience So much gets lost in our ability to find and cultivate and remember that joy and and the fun in coloring outside the lines or smearing frosting on our face and not caring or whatever it might be that that is the imperfect um, opportunity.
1: I love that you say that because I'm just about to offer a a new offering called Playtime, which is for recovering serious people. And I consider myself a recovering serious person in terms of like the ways that we approach healing or spirituality or the idea of self-development it's always very serious like too serious need to be more silly more playful more chaotic more messy like as you're saying and so i really appreciate you saying that because wholeheartedly
0: agree (laughs) it's way more fun way more fun to be messy and imperfect (laughs) Um, you mentioned in your book, this idea that I just loved so much called bossy sessions. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about bossy sessions and how it can help couples bring more intentional pleasure and curiosity around pleasure into their sexual and non-sexual life together. I love bossy sessions.
1: I, they've slightly evolved actually, since I wrote the book, Now um I would I suggest to people to do experimenting sessions, which is prioritize time. It's not scheduled sex, but it's prioritize time, regardless of your relationship dynamic, where you experiment and explore with different ways of mutual pleasure in the body. That's not necessarily sexual. Um, but it's saying like, oh, what mood are we in? We could have a list of things we want to explore, and then depending on the mood we're in, we can explore this one or that one. And part of that is being, is practicing communication. And so bossy sessions, one of the reasons I developed that structure for people was because it allowed them to go through the one, two, three step of practicing how to communicate and really articulate needs and wants and desires, and to allow, uh, needs and wants and desires to change over time. So if, for example, you've been in a long-term relationship you can get to the point where you're like, oh, I know everything about you and I know everything that you like or need and want. And therefore we just default to that. Whereas a bossy session can allow more space to come back to of, okay, I'm going to be the one that receives and the receiver has to give instruction of what pleasure they want in that moment. And if you stop speaking, then the person who's giving stops as well. And so it's an over-emphasizing of communication. It's an overemphasizing of saying, okay, you are coming together here and now. What is the curiosity? Finding that curiosity of how you two are, or however many people you are in this moment. What do you desire? What feels good? What is possible? Mm-hmm. And so there are so many levels to this practice but it allows for exploration. It allows for communication and it allows for new possibilities and ways of being together. Um, but I'm glad that it resonated with you and that you were excited to speak specifically about that.
0: Yeah. It, it, there are so many parts. It's hard to pick just one, but that really did stand out to me Is such a gift for people who don't know how to put this into action together because it does create this, um, intentional communication. And uh, it also reinforces the idea that we're responsible for our own pleasure. And we do need to communicate what we like, but sometimes we don't know. And so it's okay to explore and experiment with different ideas and to be in charge of what you get to experiment with in that moment so that there are less surprises or at least the kinds of surprises that you might anticipate and like.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And is really great for people pleasers or overgivers or people who just have been socialized to not know what they desire. It's so, like, Oh, let's see what there is here right now.
0: You don't need to know you just explore and see what happens. Yeah, that's so great. Well, thank you again for coming to speak with me today. And I wonder, where can people reach you if they want to learn more about your work, um, or if they want to work with you directly?
1: My website, which is euphemiarussell.com or my book, which is Slow Pleasure, Explore Your Pleasure Spectrum. And then my current only social media is Instagram, which is euphemia.russell
0: or TikTok, which is euphemia. Okay, wonderful. We'll make sure to include all of that in the notes on this episode. Uh, Thank you all for being a part of the Modern Intimacy podcast and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me, Kate. Thank you for listening to the Modern Intimacy Podcast. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. Kate and at The Modern Intimacy. On TikTok, check me out at Dr. Kate and on Twitter at Kate Everyone has questions about mental health, sex, and relationships. Send yours to me via DM on Instagram. Or email them to questions at modernintimacy.com and I'll answer some at the end of each episode. Visit the website, modernintimacy.com, to schedule a consultation with a member of our team or to sign up for our newsletter. Let's meet back here next week. New episodes air every Tuesday. Reminder this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health services.